I can tell you something about this place. My boys call it the Black Lagoon, the paradise. <laughs> Only they say nobody has ever come back to prove it. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Frankenstein's podcast, where it's all about the monster. We are a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Praska, and with me as always is... Your other host, Khalid Hussein. What's up, Khalid? Hey, Joe. Good to see you, buddy. It's good to see you, too. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great. I'm actually really excited. I'm just going to just bounce right into it to bring yeah, in our guest today. We yeah. have, um, and I actually wrote up stuff for these guests today. I got something I'm going to read here. We got two awesome guests with us. We got Marshall okay. Julius, who's a writer, broadcaster, quizmaster, and professional geek, wrote Vintage Geek, the ultimate quiz book for geeks. And we also got Howard Berger, who's a special effects uh, creator and co-founder of KNBEFX, worked on over 400 films and television pro- projects. He's also our first Academy Award winner and Emmy winner on the podcast, both of them collaborated on a new book, Masters of Makeup Effects, A Century of Practical Magic, which is available now. Welcome, you two. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you very welcome. much. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us. No well, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Of course. Our pleasure. Yeah. I, I was... won the Rondo Award. We won the Rondo Award, which I know is a bit of a, maybe after you've won an Oscar and, and Emmys and stuff, maybe not as exciting. But until I won a, a Rondo Award, I only had an English prize for most improved when I was 15. So I was <laughs> super stoked to oh, get man. a Rondo. Very excited. Yes. Well, I have to add Rondo in there. Yeah. Rondo yeah, Award yeah. winning duo. Yes. I, I have to confirm with Joe, but I think that's still one more Rondo than we have. So uh, I think, if, yeah, check the notes. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. More. you still got yeah. us beat. Still, still noteworthy. <laughs> Maybe the, um, I think the Rondo really was for the person who most desperately wanted to win a Rondo, uh, as well as the book itself. But yeah, I was quite keen to have a little statuette. That's an that's actually a great idea for an award. The person who wants it the most, like I'm, yeah. that's one I would want to see who wins. Yeah, <laughs> we might have a shot at that one, Khalid. Oh, I want it so bad, Joe. I do too. I really do. <laughs> I'll give you uh, some tips after the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> to it. Um, so I wanted to say before you dig into stuff, Marshall, I actually you were one of my uh, earliest Twitter follows or when I first joined Twitter. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, because I I was like. One of the things I was looking for when I joined it was like the Star Trek community. And like you had been tweeting about Star Trek randomly at that time. And I was like, oh, follow, follow. And then I saw, which led me to the, your uh, vintage geek book at the time, which I, I thought was pretty fun. And the, the kind of quiz master like element to it. So Yeah, I, 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 Twitter's been very good to me. I mean, as a, as a journalist working for a variety of different outlets, um, online and print newspapers and stuff, um, I, I never blag nearly as much free stuff as I get um, through than I do through Twitter. So <laughs> Twitter's been very good to me, you know. It's like posting pictures of my collection and stuff, got lots of followers, made lots of interesting connections, yeah. and was able to basically abuse all of them and try and get free, you know, kind of questions and stuff people to contribute to uh to my last book so yeah i mean i maybe twitter is not what everybody wants it to be right now but mm. um it's been very good to me yeah twitter i guess x now right is that what they're called? no no no, no we're, we're, we're sticking with twitter yeah <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not buying into that <laughs> no. yeah we're just gonna stick with twitter good call good call yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that's, I was excited to chat with you, uh, especially given that little bit of history. Um, and then, so Howard, 
Um, yes. I'm excited. Yeah, like I said, your Academy Award winner for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Emmy for Walking Dead, I got. Yep. And um, KNB, which I was excited. We did a big episode uh, not too long ago on From Dust Till Dawn, and we oh, talked okay. a lot about kind of like your work on there and the exchange you did with like Quentin Tarantino. So I'm really excited to have both you guys on. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Dusk is Dusk is a fun one. It's like I was in London. We were promoting the book in London, and hmm. and one of the events was at the uh, the Fulham uh, Cinema, and we ran Dust Till Dawn for a crowd, Ooh. and I hadn't seen it since. I mean, I don't know how long. It's been a long time, but yeah, it's cool, man. It's it was a super fun movie, and you know, Greg Nicotero and myself, you know, did all the set work and and the uh, K the K who's not part of K and B anymore, Bob uh, Robert Kurtzman, you know, was the uh, Basically, the, the the he came up with the story, and he was the first guy to ever pay Quentin Tarantino to write a script. So you know, we, wow. we, still, fame. we, have, we wow. still have that return uh, check. Uh, you know, once he deposited it, um, it was for for fifteen hundred dollars. So you know, Quentin wrote Dust Till Dawn for fifteen hundred dollars, and and the promise that we would uh, uh, do the effects uh, for free for his very first movie. And we weren't sure if Quentin was ever going to make a, a movie because at the time he was still working at the video store and all that stuff. And we're like, okay, yeah, sure. And then, you know, one day we got a call and he said, hey, I'm going to make this movie. It's called Reservoir Dogs. And uh, okay, here's the second half of the deal. You guys do the effects for free. And we did. And we've been with Quentin ever since. So he's a super loyal guy. We've worked on every single film with the exception of Jackie Brown because there was nothing he needed from us. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a great, great um friendship and working relationship and he's extremely loyal and we're extremely loyal and and dusk was a really really fun show it was really really hard we were shooting during the summer uh, in los angeles in the in this meat old meat packing factory that's where the titty twister was built and we sweated our nuts off uh, all day long and night long and it was a non-union show so we just worked and worked and worked until we were done and that whole all that vampire stuff we shot for six weeks um, six days a week. So it was exhausting, but it was really fun. And George Clooney wasn't a superstar yet. And, uh, you know, we had Harvey Keitel and it was, it was so much fun. It was a great, great show. So, but yeah, um, I'm glad people still dig it and still talk about it. It's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. At the screening that we were at, the screening that we did at the picture house cinema, they actually put our names on the, on the, on the billboard, which was sort of mad for me. Cause you know, never thought that I would see my sort of name up there. But uh, people love that film so much. And it was so much fun watching it with Howard because, um, like, no one uh, laughed harder than Howard when they have the most inappropriate jokes or the dirty <laughs> jokes or the, or the most crazy violent things or, the, like, the maddest things that happen. So it was, like, really, really fun. I could just hear um, Howard having, like, a grand old time. And I tell you, that, is the, that I would always recommend if you're going to watch From Dusseldorf and watch it with Howard because it's just like, you know, he's the ultimate special feature watch-along. Really. Howard, please <laughs> let me know the next time you host a rewatch. That is, Oh, yeah, that, dude, that, absolutely. This is one of the few movies that, like, I was the one that, like, lobbied for getting it on the pod. I'm sure mm -hmm. Joe would have done it eventually, oh, but yeah. this – this movie's like near and dear to my heart since yeah. childhood. So honestly, like just hearing all of that was so exciting. That's so great to like. It's really already cool to talk to you, but it just adds like so many layers hearing that story. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. Yeah, it's um, you know, I've worked on so many movies. You know, K and B has been a part of so many movies with with Nicotero and everybody, and and it's fun to you know we'll be somewhere and people will come up and say, oh, I'm a huge 
you know, Army of Darkness fan or I'm a huge this fan or, you know, a bunch of movies. And, and, you know, out of like all the films that I've worked on, I, I have a, a very small handful that I really, really love. And I, I base it on how many times I'll watch that movie. Like if I watch it now, I'm like, I, I must really like that film. But there's so many that I I think I saw him at the screening and I was like, okay, I'm good. So, <laughs> Just one and done. I've yeah. definitely, yeah, I, uh, I work in production too. And I've definitely had that feeling of like, when I finally do get around to watching some of the stuff I'm working on, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't need to see it. Yeah. No, it's yeah. sometimes uh, I find working on the film is far more fun than watching it. Um, it's the better story. <laughs> it, it is. And you have just the camaraderie and you have all these great stories. And then, you know, obviously that doesn't translate because it's all behind the scenes stuff, but there's a lot of times, um, you know, you, you, I find that if you have a really great time on a show and it's just a blast, the movie probably won't be that great. And if you have an absolutely miserable time and you hate it and you're like, this film's going to blow, it ends up being pretty good in a hit. I mean, a, an example of that is Scream. So mm. I, I hated working on Scream. I hated the script. I hated being on location. It was all nights in San Jose. Uh, hmm. and, and Howard, what did you do with the script the first time you read it? Well, it was the first time I tried to read it. I threw it across my office like six times because I just felt it was a giant, enormous ripoff. And I just didn't buy it. But no, I wasn't the only one. Like Wes Craven was like, this is the nail in my coffin. This is it. And we all had no no high hopes for Scream at all. It was just kind of like, okay, well, let's just do it. Because Wes, it was, we were all just coming off of um, Vampire in Brooklyn, which was a really hard show to do. And didn't end up doing all that great and didn't do anything for Wes. And he ended up just taking this. The screen was offered to like George Romero and, you know, John Carpenter and all these other guys. And then ended up landing on Wes's desk. And at that time, Wes was like, I, you know, I got to do something. And um, it ended up, you know, I think Wes took that script that was extremely mediocre and really made it great. And ended up with a great cast. Uh, the post on the show is great. I love the, you know, how the music. I love the score and how it all plays into it. And it ended up being a really, really fantastic movie. But literally, we were sitting on set going, oh, God, this is so dreadful. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. Even I, I recall, like, Courtney Cox, you know, was in the middle of shooting Friends. And she was the only cast member who didn't get offered a movie that year or that summer. It was summer break. And so, like, you know, they, all the other actors on the show had feature films, but not Courtney. So they offered it to her. She took it, you know, probably for an extremely reasonable amount. And that one ended up being a massive hit and obviously led into multiple sequels that she was in. And she was wonderful. And that's where she met David Arquette, you know, and they, they ended up getting married. And they're not married anymore, but, you know, they have a daughter, Coco, and all that. And um, But really super, super great people. Um it just, I just had, I just hated the script because it was the same crap. You know, it was a lot of just rip off stuff, you know, that, that Evan Williamson had written. And, but when I saw it, I'm like, wow, boy, I was wrong. And plus it came out December 21st. And I'm like, who the hell releases a horror movie on Christmas? But then you, just, you started to see it build momentum. And then, you know, whatever, it ended up making 250 million. It cost like eight. And, uh, you know, and then a, a ton of sequels and TV shows and all that stuff. Yeah. So. I'm glad nobody said, "Hey, Howard, what do you think?" Because uh, you know, they probably I would have said, "Don't make that; it's a horrible script." So, well, that's the tough thing with horror is like you're basically you don't even know it, but half the time you could be making a lottery ticket. You know, like even yeah, nowadays, you, know. you think of like something like Get Out that made it, like the budget's peanuts compared to what some of these blockbusters are for. 
and what it made back, like that's never stopped being the case. So it's like, you know, I feel like it's probably a point of privilege for you that like you probably had like your fingerprints on or been involved with so many great things that like you even had the luxury to like throw the scream script, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's so interesting. And, and uh, yeah, I never know anymore. I just I just go to set. I get to be with all my friends. I have a good time. I do the best work I can. And at that point, you know, I always look at it. I always use cooking analogies and food analogies. So to me, it's like, you know, everybody brings an ingredient to the chef and then it's up to the chef to make the souffle and either the souffle rises or it collapses. So that one I thought was not even going to cook at all. And uh, I was wrong. And, and uh, you know, Wes ended up making more money on that movie than he ever did on any other movie um, because he, you know, whatever deal he had. And it was great. He, he earned it because, he you know, his whole career, as we all know, is magnificent. But he never was able to, you know, like he didn't own Freddie or any of that stuff. So he never really participated in the in the success financially. Um, so it was great to see Wes succeed and and, uh, you know, be able to live a, a different financial life. Yeah. So something that I learned from um, from uh, working on on Masters with with Howard was that um, these amazing artists, these makeup guys, they focus on doing the best job that they can do with their bit of the film, and as long as they're proud and happy with their work in it, then you know they really it's not up to them whether it turns out to be a a, a good film overall. You just cross your fingers and hope, but you can only really focus on your bit of it and to be mm-hmm. proud of that bit of it. So we spoke to lots of people who did amazing work in perhaps films that didn't really necessarily live up to that work. But, you know, that's just those them's the breaks, as they say. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But as long as you're happy with what you do, is that reasonable, Howard, to say? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've all worked on garbage, but, you know, we do the best thing we can and we're ex- enthusiastic about our work. We don't we don't ever, you know, just like, ah, it's going to be a piece of crap. Who cares? Um, no, it's always, we take great pride. You know, we, a lot of times we do great work in very bad movies, so you can't do anything about it. And the truth is like this, like it's, these are not like objective things that we're talking about. You know, it's art. It's always going to change depending on like the audience of the time and like, uh, trends just somehow like bring out something that people will like and something that maybe an entire group just like disregarded at its time. And we've seen it over and over again, but like, especially with stuff like horror where so much of it is like going for broke and like being so imaginative, like it sometimes takes a while for the audience to catch up to the imagination. And it's exciting to see that happen too. Yeah, absolutely. You never, you never know, you know, you just, it's all just a big giant crapshoot essentially and you're like i don't know if this is going to work or if it's not going to work let's do our best nonetheless you put you put the same amount of effort in in something that's going to be fantastic that may end up not being great but you never put less less effort into it you know and focus you're you're there the most important thing is that you're there to do a great job so well said thank you (laughs) um I, all right. Well, so that'll be said. That was, I almost feel like we just give you guys a mic and just like talk, you know, I think it's so yeah, you guys just want to host this. <laughs> you can just, can just take, take over the show here. Yeah. Right? I'm yeah. used to doing interviews. <laughs> Marshall, I'm saying right now, that's probably, you are already asking better questions than I will. So I'll <laughs> yeah. tag out. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's like I'm coming in and I'm asking follow-up questions. I won't do that. I apologize. No, you're good. You're good. Oh, you're no, good. no, no, please. I know, that, please I know there are some questions to ask Howard, but you know, you'll get some good answers out of those. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, yes. 
I'll let Joe follow that one. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I guess I'll ask you two our our, uh, our new guest questions that we ask everyone who's new on the uh-huh. podcast. Um, one thing, we, since we are a monster creature feature show, we always like to know, like our guests, like what is your, in any corner of pop culture, it could be a book, movie, show, anything. What is your favorite monster? And if you don't consider it the same thing, what do you think is the scariest monster that you've kind of come across? Could be Marshall. one you worked on or maybe not. Marshall, you go first. Well, my favorite monster uh, is... Um since I was small, I, King Kong is my go-to answer. The original thirties King Kong. I, I've just, I just found that um, speaking of, uh, you know, some films have great effects, but the film doesn't necessarily live up to them. I think uh, the original King Kong, you know, easily lives up to it. I think there's something incredibly magical and otherworldly about that film. I mean, literally from the moment that it starts and they're in sort of fogbound New York and, and just the way that it starts with the mystery and uh, and all working all their way to Skull Island and then the way they introduce Kong. And I mean, my God, he's fighting dinosaurs and stuff. You know, he's punching up above his weight in the romance stakes it's like he gets gassed and goes for a trip to new york and like kills a bunch of people i i just think that you know he had a really hard shake of hard shake of it you know he was not really a bad guy he was uh, the king of his island and then you know they drag him off to new york and it was like nothing that happened there was was his fault yeah, but I, I just think that there's just I think that that film is just utterly spectacular, and it, 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 as it gets older, it just gets better. It just feels like you're watching a sort of a fairy tale. It doesn't feel like it belongs to this world. It's not dated. It's almost just like like I, like pure imagination, you know. Although now I'm beginning to sound like Willy Wonka, so I'll just curb it back a bit. But I really <laughs> I really love King Kong and just like crazy about King Kong. The whole, the idea of it, I love stop motion animation. I, I, I love the fact that you can see Willis O'Brien's thumbprints in the fur and uh, just every part of that film is spectacular. Um, you also wanted to know about if, but I don't find him scary necessarily. I mean, yeah, if I was in New York, I would probably run in the other direction and definitely I wouldn't want in a subway uh, train or anything with, yeah. when he's around. Um, but, uh, I mean, for me, scary. I've always had a thing um, about sharks. And although maybe it's not, you know, the most realistic, re- realistically realized shark of all time, I mean, Bruce from Jaws, um, the way that, again, that film um, spins the yarn, the way you hardly ever see him. And, and, yeah, the sort of dead eyes of the shark and the way that everybody facing him is really out of their element. I, I find I find all of that utterly terrifying. So Bruce definitely hmm. is, uh, is and a complete monster as well. I know he's just, you know, he's really just doing what he does naturally. He's not, you know, he's not evil necessarily, but he's quite aggressive. You know, he doesn't have to do all that stuff. He's 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 really pushing it in the kind of well, you're in my domain when there's people literally in a boat and stuff. You know, I should think that there's easier food for him to go around and eat. So he's a little bit pushy, but definitely, um, definitely, uh, Bruce in, in Jaws is the scary one. So I'll take a breath now and let Howard have a go. Okay, I just have to say, I've never heard anyone describe the shark from Jaws as pushy. That is, that's a new one. It's a good one. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, it's like people say, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not really his fault that he's, you know, 
but he's uh, you know he's out he's in his element things yeah. come in his, his you know where is his house the top of the food chain yeah yeah but I mean you know he, he doesn't have to be a douchebag about it there's people Especially, there's got to be a lot of seals that are easier to catch than than actually like unwrapping his food in this boat and stuff. It's. I mean, we don't know his side of the story. It could have been like a midlife crisis. There could have been some like hot younger sharks nearby that he was showing off for. No, you're right. You're right. He was going through some shit. That was his thing. <laughs> I'm going to look at it that way next time. <laughs> Please, that's all I ask. <laughs> Sorry about that, uh, Howard. I cut you off. Yeah. I would oh, love no, to hear no, yours. No, no, that's all. That's that's all good. Uh, I like that pushy. You know, that could be a good tagline. You know, like, you know, he's nice, but he's pushy. Uh, I mean, for, for me, it's like I well, my favorite monster of all time is Creature from the Black Lagoon because I just I love that movie, and uh, there was something about it when I saw I saw. I saw it when I was really, really young. My dad was in the film industry, and there you go. There's a creature. And, uh, there he is. And I, I really um, – he really encouraged me to watch films with him, and, and we watched Creature, and, and I've seen it so many times. But it's – I love the story. It's simple. But as from a, a kid's point of view, I just love the creature, Like, and I still do. I think it's a perfect monster. I think it's a perfect suit. You know, there's a pathos to it, which is, and I feel this way about all monsters, that they're all victims of circumstance. And, you know, again, like, like you know, Marshall was saying about Kong, the creature was perfectly fine in the Amazon, living his life, and then a bunch of stupid humans show up, and they try to capture him. And, of course, there's going to be death and, you know, destruction and, and uh, you know, for three movies worth. And, um, but, you know, I just... I, I was just mesmerized by that monster. And as a little kid drawing on my homework and my lunch bags and anything doing creature from the black lagoon drawings. And then my dad had bought me this full length, like six foot tall poster I had in my bedroom of the creature, you know, that famous photo with his hands up. It's like a studio unit shot, mm -hmm. but I just, I would look at it night and day. It drove me crazy. And, and, uh, my mom was an artist and then she drew me a version that was even bigger. And I had it on the, on my door, bedroom door. So at night when she closed the door, I would be looking at the creature, which of course most kids would be like freaked out. I was just, I had the best time ever. And the monsters were always friends to me. Like I always was like, I sure wish I could be friends with Kong or I wish I could be friends with the wolf man or a creature in the black lagoon. But you know, it's, I, I would say I love the creature so much in the design of the creature that like Chris Mueller did. And, and, um, you know, all the guys at the Universal um, shop, the uh, makeup uh, lab back then. Um, you know, if if I was ever approached to do a remake, I would do the exact same design. There'd be no way I would change it. I'm just like, that design is perfect. We don't need to do it. It's a guy in a suit. You know, it, you know, maybe the head does a little bit more, but I'll tell you, man, it's it's like a thousand percent for me. I would never, ever change it. You know, I've, I've read a couple of the scripts that have been out there, the, the quote unquote reboots, which I thought were all terrible. Mm. And it was always some sort of digital nonsense, you know, like and then tentacle shoot out. I'm like, what? No, this is not that's not my creature. <laughs> yeah. So um, so creature in the black lagoon. And I and I, I like uh, revenge and I really like. Creature walks among us. I just because there's a different creature in it, you know, and it's like, wow, that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when he gets his 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 um, uh, gills removed and lungs, yeah. and for some reason he bloats up into a into a, a wrestler. But you know, I, I was <laughs> yeah, okay. he was enormous in that he, enormous, he really big. And then as far as scary, I mean, of course, Jaws is the quintessential t horror film, 
where you know it destroyed the beach for i mean millions and millions of people i like i don't go to the beach i don't go in the water because i'm terrified of it but i have to say my first recollection of really being terrified was uh my dad for some reason thought it was a good idea for us to go to a double bill of dr fives and dr fives has risen from the grave and and um those movies scared the shit out of me especially the the second one dr fives has risen from the grave there was a scene, I don't know what it was, but there's like a face is revealed in the sand, a sandstorm, and there's like a scorpion that comes out of the guy's mouth. And that just gave me nightmares forever. So I was really young. I'm going to say I was like maybe seven. And um, I would have nightmares every night. And I'd wake up screaming <laughs> bloody murder and crying. And I remember my mom came in one day, one night in the middle of the night as I was like screaming and she just went, you will never see another horror movie as long as you live. I, you know, I swear on my soul, you'll never see another horror movie. Luckily that didn't happen. So, <laughs> but, but that movie really, really scared the shit out of me for some strange reason. I, I should go back and watch it. I'm sure it's not scary, but um, yeah, I'm going to say Dr. Five, the second Dr. Five's really, really freaked me out. I'm not afraid of it now, but yeah. you know, and, and any ghost stuff always gives me the willies, you know, the, oh. The, the Japanese version of the of um, the ring, I thought, mm. was freaky as hell, and that really, you know, it's, it's stuff plays in our minds. It's monster makers, you guys, and, and monster lovers, and monster kids, as you you guys are. Sometimes your imagination gets the best of you, and I'll be downstairs as I'm turning the lights off at the end of the night, and I just feel like there's something down there that's going to be crawling at me, you know. Even it's because like, there is. You're right. You yeah, right to be scared. You know, yeah, six yeah. Years no, it's true. After seeing Insidious, yeah, for some, even though there's not a scene in the toilet, every time I go down for a wee in the middle of the night, I'm sure that 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 guy is behind me. Why he's watching me, I don't know. Why he's on the ceiling, I don't know. But it just really plays on my mind. It's not for you to know why. Just get out of there. It's just yeah. that's what I do. I haul ass up the yeah. stairs. Yeah. <laughs> up afterwards, but you know, once I'm locked into that business, I'm afraid the monster or not, I'm I'm there for the duration. But as soon as I'm I'm up the stairs as quick as my legs can carry me. Yeah. I also <laughs> love. I had to say I didn't want to interrupt you, Howard, but Howard's talking about posters of the creature on his wall. It's mm -hmm. like you know and. Uh, it's like most people had pictures of like Charlie's Angels on their wall and stuff, you know, back then. So it's like, uh, oh, yeah. well, I did, the, I did have the the Farrah Fawcett. Uh, you have Farrah Fawcett as well. Okay, well, yeah, that's yeah, okay. You yeah, got that's have okay. yeah, I think if you looked in my bedroom as a kid, which my I had so much shit on my walls, my parents finally just put corkboard surrounding the whole room because <laughs> I destroyed all the rooms, so I, all the walls. But yeah, I had a, I had the Jaws poster, I had Star Wars, I had you know Cheryl Teagues, I had Rollerball. You know, had you know King Kong, then had Farrah Fawcett, so it was a good mix. You know, that is a good mix. Oh yeah, I think so too. And then a billion masks, you know, monster wow. masks and all that stuff, and my stacks of Fangoria's and famous monsters and Mad Magazine and all that stuff. So cool. I wish I knew where it all was. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, sadly. I mean, it would look great, like if you just like threw it back up now too, like get some nice frames for some of it, like in an office oh, yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm at at, at my at K and B. My office is jam packed with stuff, and yeah, yeah, I just yeah, I bought. I can't help it. I just bought a bunch of vintage Star Wars posters, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. Oh, so, my roommate's but, like in love with all. That was them. a secret. Well, but see, my Miriam's not. My wife won't listen, so uh, it's okay. She's in the other room. There's, <laughs> there's a giant, enormous thing over here in the corner in my in my home office that still hasn't been unpacked. 
that has tons of Star Wars uh, vintage posters in it that I bought. So wow, you know, it's just it's that it gives you that feeling. I think that's also part of like being a monster kid and loving all this stuff that you know you can be however old and when you see something it just sparks this feeling in your heart and it literally jettisons you back to being a kid and oh. remembering what that feeling was like the first time you saw an aurora monster model or your first issue of fangoria or famous monsters or you know seeing a movie poster you know start i think like my two favorite movie posters of all time are the jaws poster which i love to know and 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 the hildebrandt brothers star wars poster which I love that. I just think it's a beautiful poster. And both posters I saw before I saw the movies. And I could only imagine what those movies were. Like oh. I remember seeing the Jaws poster and like the teeth look a little mechanical in the painting if you look at it. So I wasn't sure if the, in the movie, if it was a mechanical shark, like somebody built a robot shark that killed people because I hadn't read the book yet. And then Star Wars was just like looking at that colorful poster, poster going, what is this film about? And I think it's going to be my most favorite movie of all time, you know? And, that's back when like marketing was able to do that too. Like now it's like there's a million accounts and like publications that just like do so much in pre like coverage of the pre pro that like by the time you get to the movie you feel like you wrote it. Absolutely, oh, there's no secrets anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exceptions. And isn't it? But this was, I mean, when we were growing up, you know, you would maybe you would see a trailer if you'd see if you'd gone to a movie you know months before and they had that trailer attached to it but it wouldn't have necessarily been on on tv or anything maybe you would catch the odd thing or you would you know in england star wars came out in december 1977 right. we got it months and months yeah. after you so we were that much more aware of it and i've never hated living in england more than those several <laughs> you know it's like, and now when people complain, they go, oh, you know, the, the bomb movie's coming out like three days in, in England before in America. It's like, oh, boo, bloody hoo. You know, <laughs> yeah. I had to wait till Christmas. You had a Star Wars summer. I had a Chewbacca Christmas. But, <laughs> but I tell you, there's not much that you can have that level of anticipation for and still come out like with a life-changing, like, holy Christ, that my life begins today. But that's how I felt when I saw Star Wars. It was the one-two punch of seeing the greatest film I'd ever seen and walking out of the cinema and there just being tables of merchandise and just shitting myself in, in like, oh, my God. And my mum like, got me, like, everything, the program and posters and stuff. And it was just, like, it was the best day. It was, like, oh, yeah. what I want every day to be like for the rest of my life now. And I guess that's what monster kids do. Because it's like it just you chase that feeling. I suppose it's sort of a bit like drug addiction. Actually, mm. come to think of it, but chase it's like high. you can still get that high, though you can still get that high. It's it's just it's elusive. But uh, but every time I watch Star Wars, every time I watch Jaws, I get excited about it. You know, I still jump every time you see Ben Gardner's um, head in the fishing boat. You know, mm. I. I just because I've seen that movie a million times, just because I know they shot that scene in, in Steven Spielberg's swimming pool, it doesn't make any difference. It's it's magic, that movie, isn't it? 100%. Have you guys, the movie poster talk, you guys ever see that uh, documentary, 24 by 36? No, I have not. It's like a... It's I'm gonna write it down. Yeah, it's about like the art of movie posters, like where they kind of like the illustrated movie poster, why they went away and people trying to oh. bring them back. It's, it's interesting, yeah. 
If you like huh. movie posters, it's kind of a fascinating thing. I, yeah, I love movie posters. Yeah, nowadays it's just like Photoshop. Yeah, just heads, right? Yeah, and yeah. sometimes there's even like the wrong head. On <laughs> the wrong head, yeah. You know? Yeah, there was a movie I worked on called Gross Anatomy that was a, a Disney film, like a medical thing with Nasty mm-hmm. Dean and Daphne Zanuga. And it was like the worst Photoshop poster. It was like other people's bodies and then their heads were Photoshopped on, oh. but the heads were slightly <laughs> larger. And you looked at it and I'm like, boy, that is, you know, that's really a bad poster. So, Oof, yeah, um, but, but yeah, I miss the days we, you know, Marshall and I have argued, well, even with this book, we argued with the publishers about an illustrated cover and we hired, um, um, Graham Humphreys, yeah. a wonderful illustrator. And he, the piece, the piece he painted is in the book, uh, and the contents, uh, table of contents section, but anyhow, they just wouldn't budge. You know, that was oh, the yeah. one thing they wouldn't budge on is they didn't feel an illustrated cover was going to work. Uh, I still disagree, but I, I like the cover that we ended up going with. They were very clever with it. I'm but looking at right now that illustrated yeah, piece I, is really I, cool. Yeah, it is super cool. And Graham yeah. is amazing. He's so fantastic. And, um, Would but, you yeah. remember, do you remember how we put a poll on our socials before oh, yeah. when we were trying to convince our publishers to go with the Graham art, we put a poll out and we asked people, you know what? I mean, we stacked it in the sort of in the, favor of what we wanted but we still said you know what do you prefer photographic posters or illustrative posters and everybody said illustrative everybody yeah like, i don't think there was one person that said you know that said oh yeah i want a photo yeah yeah but we came up with a really cool idea for um for the for the cover about splitting it up and the, the different monster faces and we did we drove them crazy about getting the right faces you know do, didn't we how we, we oh we yeah a million different monsters and then there was some old and new and it was like well this doesn't really work because it has to be if it's got to be super high res then it's really hard to get old yeah. photographs um that are that high res so it had to be sort of modern stuff and then but just we drove them crazy um uh, once, once we kind of were on board with doing it, what they wanted, um, I, they, I, we sort of made them regret it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, it would have been. Like, we're totally do it your way, but we're going to do it in a sort of you do it our way. We'll do it your way, sort of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Very true. Very true. Um, so I normally ask a few other questions about like like stuff you guys are geeky about, but I think we can kind of gather some of that. I wanted to mention for we've been talking about the book a lot for people uh-huh. listening. It is called Masters of Makeup Effects, A Century of Practical Magic. It's a big kind of coffee mm-hmm. table book. Super cool. Awesome. Uh, I'm really, I really love how you guys chose to like design it like around quotes from people and like separate the chapters out that way. It's really nice to just pick up and uh, check out a chapter or like somebody like give the hand it to somebody like check this out. And it's uh, it's it's really easy to like disseminate that way. But it's. Um, I really, I'm really enjoying it so, so you far. You can read it on the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Dance around. You can yeah. say it. It's fine. You can read it on the toilet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you um, just uh, for people listening, like what a maybe who haven't heard of it? What, what would how would you describe just like an elevator pitch of what the book is? Hmm. I mean, for me, it's it's you know the one thing when Marshall and I decided to write this book, which we wrote during the pandemic because we knew everybody was out of work. So it was perfect time to strike all our, all our friends. Uh, but, um, you know, I didn't want to do an instructional book because I always find those are for me boring. Uh, and, and always, you know, I'm a very visual guy. So is Marshall. I'm also, uh, I learned a lot during this 
process and i'm very dyslexic and i feel almost everybody who's creative is dyslexic and so many of my colleagues are dyslexic as i found out and so it was very important for us to have the the print and font uh in the book uh to be easily read by people that have reading disabilities wow so i've I've heard from which was nice i've heard from people that aren't in the business that have gotten the book that was like a great it was easy for them to read you know and that was really an important thing because I read a lot and, and it's always very difficult, you know, when it's it's small and tight and what have you. But I didn't also I also didn't want to do a book about me or I didn't want to do a book about K and B. That's very self-serving. But I wanted to hear the stories from all my friends, you know, makeup artists, directors, editors, VFX, uh, you know, so forth and so on. And to me, that's always been interesting. I've always loved storytelling. I'm a great storyteller, I feel. But I love to hear what my friends say. And all through my you know, 40 years of working in the industry, it's all been that and listening to stories. And, um, and I thought that was a great pitch. You know, like this is, a, this is the history of, of films that you all love being told, you know, firsthand. It's not me relaying. It's not Marshall relaying. It's it's from the actual person telling the stories, you know, and I think that's what makes it very unique. Also, the photos, it was it was a, a main uh, directive for us is that these were all personal photos from the artists. I didn't want to use, um, you know, unit photography, uh, photos you've seen a hundred times, any book you can go and pick up in a bookstore that's about horror. It's all the same photos you've seen a million times. It doesn't feed you. So everybody was so gracious to give us photos. I mean, there's about a thousand photos, I think, in there. We collected 4,000, so we've got 3,000 more. Um, but we collected so many great photos. And that was the hardest part was uh, deciding what photos we weren't going to use because every single one is magical and tells a story. It was so important and, and really essential to us to make sure that it was an extremely visual book and, and very, very easy to read. And, and I think we succeeded in that. For me, um, t- talking, getting to know Howard and talking to Howard and hearing and him telling me his stories and he's got a million amazing stories and really fun stories. And they really sort of, they really take you to the, to the set, you know, you really feel like you're there and the way that he kind of, he's very in, kind of inclusive in the, the way that he tells stories. And, and Howard always said to me that his favorite thing about making movies is hanging out with his friends, you know, sharing stories, making, you know, making new memories, just the fun of it. And, and, you know, I thought if we could, create a book of stories that captures that then it's sort of like um it it would make everybody feel like an insider like everybody feels like they're like um they're not just um with their nose pressed up against the glass looking in they're actually being kind of welcomed inside so i was the sort of conduit through which you know i kind of tried to that was the vibe that we were going for so howard was like come on, come on in. And I just wanted to make sure that the kind of the sense of kind of wonder and wow, oh my God, this is the best dinner party I've ever been at. I can't believe this story and that story. And, and uh, just wanted to, all of that, all of that sort of excitement and, and uh, inclusion, if that makes any sense at all. I just, that's what I was excited about. And, um, and I think that's what, I think that's what we did. You know, we were Mm -hmm. really tough. We uh, didn't, uh, 
we cut a lot of stuff. You know, we were sport for choice. We did 70-odd interviews. You know, we had millions of words. Um, we didn't have to keep in anything unless it was absolute, like, prime material. And it was just, um, yeah, we were so happy with how it turned out. Because I've oh, never yeah. worked on anything that actually turned out sort of, it was like actually turned out exactly what we what we hoped for, you know, which is kind of a remarkable outcome, actually. Yeah, it's great. It's it. Yeah. Well, thank I, you. Yeah, I just want to say, like, uh, for, just like from what I've been able to read through it, it's such a great read. As you guys were saying, it is easy to read, and congratulations on just the accomplishment of making a book, let alone having like so many photos. It sounds like you could do another book if you wanted. Um, but even more so, like, I think that would really like. Uh, stood out to me was that like you really captured this feeling that I try to explain to people that aren't in California that like sure a lot of like movie history and magic is done on these studios but like a lot of it's also just done in like garages you know like um, uh, Howard and I we were talking before this like he's he's in the valley I'm in the valley like driving around some of these neighborhoods and stuff like that like oh yeah like people were making history in these in these like areas and it's like uh, you you get so much perspective with like starting at the beginning of uh, creature effects and talking about how those guys didn't even necessarily know what they were doing in the moment, let alone like what to call it. And that hasn't really changed. Just about every job, every new movie is asking you to do something that hasn't been done before and like add to this history and this collective. And this book just does such a great job of showing like what that is like for uh, for people in the industry. Thank you. Well, no, it's a that you raise a good point because I grew up in the Valley. I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up in San Fernando Valley and it was really a makeup effects hub. And you're right. Everybody started in their garage and then got little shops. And just like in the area I, I was living in Northridge, there was Stan Winston Studios, which was up the street from my house, about two miles away. And Stan did, you know, Terminator and Jurassic Park and, you know, all these great movies that we all love Predator and, uh, um, you know, and I met Stan when I was like 12 years old and he nurtured me through my childhood. And then when I got out of high school, I got a job working there and I got to work on alien or aliens and, um, uh, pumpkin head and predator and invaders from Mars. So wow. it was great. And then, you know, and then down the street from there was Carla Rambaldi who built the original alien head, the mechanical alien head, as well as ET and the close encounter. So Everybody was in this little area. And then in North Hollywood, there was like a corner where there was like Rick Baker had a shop there, a guy named Dave Miller, uh, Greg Canham. Across the street was another company called Makeup Effects Lab that was being run by Alan Apone. Uh, then John Beekler had a shop up the street. So there was like a hub uh, of all these effects shops that you would work at. And they were just little teeny places, you know, that, you you know, and through the years, it got bigger and bigger and bigger as, as things started to catch on. And I started right out of high school. So that was in. 80, uh, 83. And, um, uh, you know, it, it was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't know we were kids, you know, and it was like, it was monsters and rock and roll. And that's really what it was. We made no money. All of us were probably making between three and three fifty flat a week. And, you know, it was enough to pay your rent and buy beer for Saturday night. And, <laughs> and that's really it. And you were just a great big community. You were all the same age. I got in at the right time. And that's when, you know, it was rather haphazard. It was dangerous at times. We did stupid things, but whatever. Um, and it was it was really great, great time. But yeah, no, it's 
I go, I do go back because I'm very nostalgic about that. And I'll drive past Stan's old shop, which is long gone. It's now a printing store on Parthenia in Tampa. And, uh, and I'll drive back there. And I, I went in the back where we had built the, uh, and tested the mock-up of the Queen Alien. I'm sure you've probably seen that footage of it. It was just a cardboard and garbage bag. And we had it on it's a pin bag alien classic. Yeah we, just, yeah, we just wanted to see what would work. Stan had us put it all together and we're back there. And I drove back there and I just got out and took a picture and then I combined the picture with it. The, what, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And I'm like, God, the magic that happened in these buildings, nobody will ever know. You know? Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> wanted to go into this. Unfortunately, the printing place was closed, but I wanted to go in there and just look around because that was like a magical place for me. It was very much like Disneyland when I was a kid. The smell and, and the cool stuff that was everywhere and the cool photos of monsters and just everything. And Stan Winston was always such a great guy and, and a champ and, and really nurtured everybody. Um, you know, and same driving past Rick Baker's old shop, you know, on, on Witsit in Sherman Way. And I'm like, the magic that happened in these is now like a storage unit. And I'm like, you have no idea whatever happened in there. I mean, the movies that, the creatures that came out, the actors that went in and out of those doors and nobody knows. So, you know, the Collar and Baldy shop, which is off of Reseda uh, and, and uh, like uh, Parthenia area is now just a, a car garage. Like they just repair cars, but that's where E.T. was made. You know, but nobody knows it. Nobody knows anything about it. And to me, that's not that there should be a song like home of E.T. <laughs> where E.T. lived. But, but that's history. You know, it is history. And, I, and you know, it makes me, you know, I feel a little, you know, little melancholy sometimes when I go by these uh, these old shops, and I'm like, God, it was so great, so many amazing things, and so many amazing people, you know, came out of those those spices. But now it's, you know, it's not. When I went to um, when I went to um, LA when we were promoting the book, and actually, see, Howard and I met in 2006. I interviewed him for Narnia. That was where we mm. first um, yep. where we first met. And our friendship had been entirely over the phone and emails and, and, and stuff. It was sort of very modern in that way. And then, uh, you know, um, actually the next time, the only the first time that we met physically in the same place was when I went to go and stay with him for a couple of weeks um, to promote the book. You know, our entire book was written over Zoom and stuff. We were speaking every day for hours. Um, but uh, and then spending all that time with Howard driving around, um, you know, LA to one venue or another. And he'd be like, Oh, you see that? That's where they shot, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And, and then he stopped and he says, okay, stand in this street now. Okay. Right. This is where ET took off on, you know, <laughs> on Elliot's. Wow. <laughs> and, it was just, and, it's, so, and he took me to Carlo Rambaldi's shop and, you know, it doesn't, it didn't, it, LA should definitely be more, um, should make more of its history there should be a lot more statues up and signs and you know in england we have the blue plaques in london if somebody famous lived in a house we make sure that you know about it and um i i don't understand how a city so in love with films um can just um sort of erase such amazing history mm. uh, with howard it was like i felt like you know just like the absolute best guide for that <laughs> that you know, is such a brilliant point that's yeah, yeah. It's cool to say, like, for this podcast, especially, we got the guys who, like, literally wrote the book on monsters. So, yeah, no better people we have to discuss the movie, um, movie, which I think everyone who's reading the episode title knows we're talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon a little bit after this. Yes. But, um, I suppose we should wow, transition no spoilers. to spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, you know what, Khalid? You know what? 
got a I got a question for you, Colleen. What's up, Joe? Just to segue us into the movie discussion. Sure. Uh, so what do you what do you get if you cross the creature from the Black Lagoon with a peanut? What do I get if I cross the creature from the Black Lagoon with a peanut? Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. Oh, you might have heard this one already, haven't you? No, I haven't, but I just figured it out. Okay. Already? Okay, now I gotta hear it. What is say it, it, Marshall? Say it, say it, Marshall. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Lagoon. Oh, you got it. You got it. You got it. Uh, we're on the same wavelength here. Writer, I love puns. Yes, Joe, I, I think you might have met your other half. <laughs> I think I have. The way this usually goes, Marshall, is I immediately give up on trying to answer the question. Joe, very self-satisfied, tells me the pun. <laughs> And then I just kind of stupid. I'm sorry. I'm doing it again. I'm <laughs> no, you didn't no. ruin it. I'm saying this was a very welcome change to the dynamic. Now I get to avoid stewing. I'm almost more excited that somebody was on the same wavelength with my pun. So like, that's something I've never experienced before. I'm very, very happy for it. I love them. Puns yes. and swearing. I just, I think they're both big and clever. I yes. Big and clever. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Listeners, Joe's eyes are lit up like Times Square right now. This is the <laughs> happiest I've ever seen him. <laughs> Khalid, what are we, uh, give us a synopsis. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I've, we're talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, the 1954 film directed by Jack Arnold, story by Maurice Zim. And I've got a synopsis <clears throat> from our homeboy Google. goes a little something like this. Remnants of a mysterious animal have come to light in a remote jungle, and a group of scientists intends to determine if the find is an anomaly or evidence of an undiscovered beast. To accomplish their goal, the scientists must brave the most perilous pieces of land South America has to offer. But the terrain is nothing compared to the danger posed by an otherworldly being that endangers their work and their lives. What a monster! They're creatures of the abstract that live off potential energy. It's alive! Ooh, good synopsis. That was, a, that was very detailed. It was very yeah, detailed. Well. So um, I know, Howard, I know. I, I feel like we know a little bit of your thoughts on this movie. You said it's, it's your yeah. favorite monster. Um, yeah. I really would like to hear, um, I think all three of Howard, Marshall, and I have watched this before. Khalid, I don't think you've seen this before, have you? You would be correct. Now that so coming brand new, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this right away. All right, I'll get my newbie uh, take out of the way so the experts can <laughs> can jump in with the with the deep cuts. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to say. I loved it. It was great. Uh, it was very fun. Um, I think that like what watching some of these older movies now coming into like one being in my 30s so i have a lot of context for like the movies i came up with even being considered old now so it's not just like oh i'm the young kid trying to get through old movies it's like i have context for what's old and what that even means and then also just my years of production experience so like i understand like the the labor that goes into these movies and the further back you go the harder it was to make a movie and so watching it through both those lenses it was just really fascinating especially like um i feel like a lot of sci-fi horror tropes were kind of like maybe not introduced or originated in this but like perfected and then like eventually copied uh, because like uh, I think Mark is probably the big one for me is like as a character I feel like I've seen so many iterations of him where it's like are you like do you want to like everyone to die like it, it should be as obvious as like we're all on the same side against the monster but I don't know what your allegiances actually are because you keep having like the worst instincts um, and to see that character 
before it became kind of like old hat to have a character like that just for conflict's sake and to see like uh experimenting it with it in this group of people that I was just so curious, like what an audience thought of Mark back then. You know what I mean? Like, was there a guy that was just like, oh man, I'm so glad that he punched him by the end. Like, I'm so, I'm so glad Mark got hit. Like I wanted to hit him the whole time. Like that first time someone really felt like that about a character. Like, I guess since we just watched Alien, it would be um, the dude from The Hobbit. What's his name? Uh, Ian Nash, Holmes. right? The character. Ian Holmes, yeah, yeah, Ian Holmes' yeah. character. Like he's yeah. basically proto Ian Holmes in a lot of ways, where it's just like <laughs> he's very, very well uh, cast in terms of angering the audience, and I love seeing like the kind of like originators of that. And um, beyond that, just the technical craft that went into the movie is so cool. I feel like every time I've heard of Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, it's always just kind of like that one iconic shot of him out of the lagoon, just kind of standing. Mm-hmm. And I did not realize how much of this takes place underwater. And just I'm waiting for one of you guys to hopefully enlighten me because like I want to know how they shot so well underwater when like even today there are movies that don't knock it out the park as well as this one did in black and white, no less. So um, that's pretty much my initial thoughts on it. Just a great movie, just a great primer on like where horror and sci-fi would go uh, in the coming years and really just an enjoyable watch. So thank you guys for suggesting it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you were just bringing up that point about the water, you know, that you see the creature a lot. So there are two people that played the creature. There's Rico Browning who, um, uh, was the underwater creature. And then there was Ben Chapman, who was the um, on-land creature. And Rico, who just passed away this year, sadly, mm. um, he, uh, he was able, he, he's a skilled diver and stunt person, but also was in a, uh, a marine, like Marine Land uh, uh, show, you know, at, at, at like a sea world or what have you. And that's where he met his, his, his uh, wife, who was played a mermaid, in, in the show. So Rico Jr., who I just call, who I'm friends with, his son, I just call him son of Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> he wrote a book called My My Father Was a Creature, My Mother Was a Mermaid. And wow. about them. But anyhow, Rico could hold his breath for a very, 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 very long time. That's why it works so well in the water. He's not wearing air tanks or anything like that. There's no air tanks in the creature suit. So Rico would be able to do all the action underwater. And then when the time came, he could go up and, you know, get get a breath. Um, and then Ben Chapman was on the land uh, playing that creature for the most part. But it it's a technical achievement, you know, because, you know, at the time, Universal wasn't spending a lot of money on their horror movies, you know, although they were extremely successful and popular and, and you know, spawned a lot of uh, sequels. But. You know, you also have to remember with the original release, it was in 3D. So Creature yeah. from the Black Lagoon, it was shot in 3D, um, which if you ever get the opportunity to see it in 3D, it's, it's, a, it's a really super fun movie. And you can watch it now and, and not in 3D and go, oh, that must be a 3D shot. Like in the beginning when they, they, they uh, kind of dolly into the skeletal hand of the creature, you know, that's coming at you, you know, in, in the 3D and a bunch of stuff. And the underwater. And spears as well. They're just constantly shooting spears. All that stuff was for 3D purposes. So and, and uh, but I mean, you know, the film was shot on the back lot at Universal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, they didn't go to the Amazon or anything like that. <laughs> and it's just a super simple oh, story. Right. <laughs> it's it's a really fun story. Uh, you know, Julie Adams is super beautiful in it. Um, you know, and and of course it's it's the it's the age old 
Beauty and the Beast story, really, you know, that also takes us back to Kong and also Beauty and the Beast. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's a there's a creature who falls in love with a, a, a woman, you know, and his whole his main objective is I really want to be with that woman. And like you said, the Mark character, you know, which you have a lot in, in many movies that, you know, like you said, the Ian Holm character, Ash. And then in, in, in Aliens, you have Paul Reiser's character yep. who, you know, is sympathetic at first, but it turns out he just wants to weaponize the alien. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, we got to get this creature back and we can make a million dollars on it. You know, same with Carl Deming, you know, in King Kong. Mm. So, but, you know, those themes all kind of are very familiar and, and run through all these films. But there's just something about Creature from the Black Lagoon. And again, if you watch it now on, you know, stream it or whatever DVD, pay attention to the all the cool stuff that you would figure would be three, 3D. But if you and if you ever get a chance to see it in 3D. It's a whole nother movie. It's quite, it's quite exciting. Can I ask Howard a oh. question? Because I know I'm jumping in and asking. No, you're good. I don't know. But I was wondering. Um, uh, so Riku Browning, he was the underwater swimmy guy. He did all three films, and right. um, I would think that swimming underwater in that big costume was a son of a bitch. I mean, not easy. Um, I wondered why they got someone to wear the suit like on the land. Like they said, Riku, it's too easy. We wouldn't even ask you. It's like, oh, but it's like literally, I, I know how to walk. You know, I mean, why? Why didn't he do? Why didn't he just wear the costume the whole time? I don't know what I don't know. Actually, it could be <laughs> weird because he did hard work. So yeah, let him walk around with his arms forward. You know, I mean, why couldn't he, he could have done that? Well, too. No, no, it's true. But it's also, and you know, I'll ask Son of Creature from the Black Lagoon. But but it's very possible that they, since all the underwater stuff, they were shooting underwater stuff at one point, and you know, at this maybe the same time they were shooting the the land stuff. So because it's a very compressed shoot schedule in those movies, they were probably like. You know, maybe thirty-five days, maybe I guess, if that much, maybe less. In the that 20s. makes sense. But but they were probably shooting underwater stuff in a second unit, hmm. uh, and then shooting, you know, the creature, they, the stuff they needed the creature on land. So there were two. Time. Probably, I'm just assuming that's probably what I would figure. It, it was two units. They but didn't I, credit him. Nobody was credited as playing the creature. What were they on no, any of the? No, those I, don't, I don't think so. Which is, you know, that was just a universal thing. I mean, you know, back then, wow. as you know, if you watch those movies, it's it's pretty much just department heads that uh, get the credit. You yeah, know, and, and and most of those department heads that didn't really work on the film. They were just, um, you know, assigned. Their department was assigned to that and had other people working on it because all the guys that actually built the creature suit don't get credit on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jack Kel- Kelvin and and Chris Mueller and a whole bunch of people, um, but uh, you know, I think it was part of the mystery too. You know, who's playing? I mean, even I can't remember even in Frankenstein, isn't it like it says the monster and there's like a question mark or something. At, or, the, at uh, the beginning of the film, it says the monster question mark, but at the end of the film, when it says you know, a good cast is worth repeating, then right. they called him just uh, uh, was it Boris Karloff then for. Then they then he was just Karloff from Bride of oh, Frankenstein, right, like, right. like he Which was Prince Madonna or something. Yeah, he didn't, yeah. Karloff. Oh. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a. I love the movie. I love the creature films. And then you know when you get to, I liked the second one. The creature suit doesn't look as great. It always in the something happened in the paint. It's like really contrasty and doesn't look as good. And then in the third film, of course, I I um, you know he. They end up operating on him and take his gills away and make him, uh, you know, a land creature. And he's got lungs and but he bloats up. But I always like the look of that. Like, I don't even though he's wearing like, you know, like doctor scrubs or something, which is kind of strange. But 
it's just me just like grasp, you know. And like, in the like second it. and third film, um, uh, whereas Ricky Browning had to hold his breath underwater for the first one, um, he had a more steady stream of oxygen in two and three, and he had a little hole in the top of his um, his, his mask, okay. didn't he, Howard? Oh. And there's a constant stream of bubbles coming out yeah. of the top of his head, which is really distracting. Like a blowhole? No, I think it's just literally because he was like breathing more things. and so he was breathing out more. It's just a tiny little hole and just air bubbles are coming out the top of his head. Like not an intentional know? thing for the creature. It's just like a costume no, tick. Just, yeah. yeah. I just think that they thought that no one would ever see it. <laughs> I, I got to say that my favorite thing about the three films, and I watched all three of them this week, is that they established the third one is different because they set the poor bastard on fire mm. and he loses all his his fishiness and they turn him into some sort of weird fishy human freak hybrid. I mean, it's really strange where that one goes to. But um, they establish that um, the creature cannot be out of the water for more than a few minutes, you know. So basically, if you go, say, a kilometer away, you're safe, you know. <laughs> it's not like you know these things are it's quite limited and in the first film obviously they're on the boat like the whole time um in the second film um there there's the there's the romantic pairing the scientists and it's like okay we're gonna have a day away even though the creature's escaped and is stalking this new blonde um, let's have a day away and just forget about things so what do they do they go on a boat ride they go for a swim <laughs> and then a seafront restaurant and it's like what are you doing it's like you're trying to get attacked it's like give it some thought and of course the creature's stalking the shit out of them the whole <laughs> well, wait, is it a salt water or fresh water you know go we'll be completely safe are we sure there are no shoreline denny's are they all like inland well, okay. Well, that that's another question. Okay, they go to the okay. only floating. So holes in my whole theory now. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's a seaside Denny's. Yeah. It's like, did you notice at the end of the second film they use exactly the same shot where he 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 sort of because he he gets shot and he definitely dies at the end of the first one, but then he's alive in the second one, and when they and then he gets shot again, and he and then they use exactly the same shot of him sinking in the water again. Um, hmm. at the end of the second film. I mean, it's... Uh, Maybe the sinking shot is meant to imply uh, that's what he does when he has to like recuperate and then he's able to come back or something. I don't know. They're just like, well, Maybe, he, came, he came back from that once. He can do it again. Keep it open. At the time. Yeah. Like, it's just like, well, you won't use it. They won't see. It's not like these days when everyone can watch things, you know, 300 times and yeah. study it. Yeah. Yeah. For Easter eggs and everything. Yeah. We're probably just, you know, snogging in a... In a um, drive-in and not really paying much attention anyway. True. They yeah. weren't expecting people to study it like we do. <laughs> <laughs> like us freaks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you have to explain you what the podcast is. I tell you, if you ask the director, if you said, do you think in 70 years a bunch of nerds are going to be sitting like talking across across you know the world yeah. discussing the film and, he, and when he picked himself up after laughing for an hour, he would say probably not. <laughs> he's laughing for 15 minutes they smoked way too much to laugh yeah, that yeah. long yeah yeah, yeah. He's out of breath. because you know i mean yeah. it's we love monsters yeah those humans were douchebags weren't they i mean just terrible capturing him it's like we want to get him for science but you know 
if he gets a bit handsy, then shoot the bastard. You know, don't capture him. But but then, and everybody's like constantly shooting him, like mm-hmm. putting guns on him all the time. It's funny because we were talking about how like nerds kind of inherited the earth, and in this movie they start as nerds ostensibly and very quickly just like gravitate towards jockish behavior until they're just punching each other and shooting at things. It's very, yeah. it's funny. It that is true. That is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we get into some more like the technical stuff, I kind of wanted to echo what uh, you said, Khalid, about just the underwater shoots of it. Like I watched this movie when I was a kid and I, I hadn't remembered just how much of it takes place underwater. Um, we did like a, a podcast not too long ago on that movie, Sweetheart, which is also like an underwater creature. And we remember learning that that monster um, suit like actually couldn't get wet or to like expand and get like too heavy. And the fact that this is just like the suit, this monster suit that somebody designed is just mostly underwater and not just underwater, but somebody like actually swimming in a sense that makes it look realistic, like a creature coming at you like that first jump scare kind of scene when you first see the creature underwater is still really effective, I think. And it's 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 like a marvel to watch. Like it's really cool to see like like you said Klee, like you we don't even movies today still don't quite have that right no. um it I, I i know that's just one thing i will just kind of forever be impressed with this movie about mm-hmm. yeah well i think you know like the way they the way they uh built the suit was that it was basically a foam rubber suit yeah. you know and, and they were big plaster molds and uh but i think they laid in a layer of of like slip latex or like you know uh, latex rubber stippled it in so it had a seal and coat and then ran the foam rubber and i probably had some sort of neoprene undersuit mm-hmm. so it was built like a wetsuit you know it's not a really thick suit i, I no, it seems I've mobile never, yeah it, absolutely and it had to be you know and again it's perfect like you don't see any tears in it it yeah. doesn't look funky it's not buckling weird it was really way ahead of its time um you know and even with the close-up when the creature comes out of the water and is walking towards the camera yeah. And his mouth is opening, and the gills are moving. I mean, that's really, really great. It's really cool. The tongue inside, and uh, it's just—it's just a real uh, achievement, you know, in makeup effects. And and I think it's—it's definitely a fave of all monster makers Mm -hmm. um, and monster fans and monster kids. But yeah, no, it's—it's very, very interesting. Um, Yeah, you know, when you're dealing with foam rubber, it does—it's a sponge essentially. So. If the suit's really thick and you go into water or it gets rained on, it definitely absorbs the water, you know, as well as it does absorb sweat, the actor's sweat. And, uh, you know, like I worked on Predator uh, at Stan Winston and one of my jobs, we they shot that film in, in Mexico. I didn't go to set for that portion, but we shot second unit or we, we did pickup days uh, in a small little green screen stage uh, in Culver City. And one of my jobs was I took the Predator home every single night. I would ring it out and I had like a Jeep. So I would leave the, the top open and I'd have the, the drive home, let it start to air out, bring it to my little apartment and I'd hang it in the second bathroom with a dehumidifier. And it would, it would dehumidify all night long <laughs> of sweat, Kevin Peter Hall sweat. So that bathroom was very smelly for a long time. And my then wife wasn't very excited about that. Uh-huh. And I would then pack the suit up again in the morning and take it back. And I had a dry suit for Kevin to get into. Uh, so, you know, it absorbs, it absorbs. That's the thing about wow. foam rubber. So I'm sure when, when Rico got out of the water, it was very heavy mm-hmm. and, you know, hard to get out of like a wetsuit. And then they had to wring it out and let it dry. And 
all that fun stuff. Wow. So, you know, so I think Ben Chapman actually had the easier uh, performance where he wasn't ever wet, never yeah. went into the water. You know, they probably yeah. spritzed him down for the, you know, the glisten. But uh, yeah, definitely Rico. Rico, to me, was the hero, you know, mm. of, of doing it all. And, and Rico actually went on. He was a stunt coordinator. He did all the stunt work in uh, Thunderball, all the shark fight stuff. So Rico was the stunt coordinator on on Thunderball, James Bond, hmm. which, which is cool. And he did a whole bunch of things, but uh, really, really fantastic uh, creature guy. And, and what was he died in his late nineties, and he still appreciated the fact of uh, you know the, the privilege of getting to play that part and how much it meant to people. And would go to conventions as long as he his health you know he could, and signing autographs and and just being there to talk about playing the creature he knew how important it was he wasn't like oh yeah whatever it's a stupid monster movie he wasn't that guy he really you know took great um pride in helping bring that character to life and those movies to be as as endearing to all of us as as it is wow yeah you look at how strong he must have been oh yeah i mean because i mean it must have occasionally gotten wet and super heavy don't you think, Howard? I mean, oh, yeah. and and the, the power to be able to do that, to be able to do it while holding his breath in the first one, um, and to be able to do all those acrobatics, swimming around upside down and spinning around. I mean, just oh, yeah. multiple yeah. takes, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that guy was strong as an ox. And if I ever had to vote for anyone that I thought would live to be 100 <laughs> or almost, it would have been that guy. And I'm not surprised because it's like, Jesus, I'm sure that, you know, even like nobody. Oh, he went. He went down swinging. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, that is one tough guy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, he's he's uh, yeah, he's a strong dude, man. He's, he's yeah. He was ninety three when he passed away. Oh wow. So, um, but yeah, super cool. Always, always available. Always excited to talk about the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think to your point, bury him at sea or in the Black Lagoon, Howard. I think they buried him in the sea. <laughs> No, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> they should have floated him face down in the water like he ends in the... <laughs> you know, I mean, That's how being, I would being, want to go. One of the great things about being in the industry, and, and I mean, you know, Marshall got a, a huge take. I mean, he, he's a, you know, he's interviewed so many big people and actors and so forth. But as a makeup artist, you know, dreaming of working with certain people and, and as a kid and then getting to work with them, you know, and, 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 you, and I, I have no shame. I ask every question I can. I worked with Roddy McDowell in 1990 hmm. and I asked Roddy every single Planet of the Apes question I ever had, you know, <laughs> as a kid. And Roddy was so wonderful and answered all of them. Wow. And and it's it's cool. Same with, you know, when I met Rico, it was like a million questions. And I know probably has been asked the same questions, but, you know, it's it's I'm still a I'm a giant fan you know, and that will never change. And I can work on a million movies with all these directors and all these actors and, you know, whatever the successes are not, but no matter what, I am still a fan. I still get all fluttery when I see, you know, or meet somebody that I I'm super excited about. Like I, I went to the Oscars with my daughter this past year and, um, we're walking in and I look over and I see John Williams sitting mm. in the, in a chair in the, you know, and I just stopped and I ran over. I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to go meet John. Williams. <laughs> and I got down on one knee and I just grabbed his hand and I told him how much he meant to me. And I loved him. And he, you know, he's this, he is the sound of all my favorite movies. And, and he was really wonderful. I mean, it was probably, probably just like, what the hell? But, 
I couldn't resist. I couldn't. Roman dragged Howard away. Yeah. It was a magic moment. Yeah, I, I couldn't resist it because this is this was a great opportunity. I met John a couple times, you know, through the Oscars and so forth. But I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta just tell him how much he means to me again. And and uh, so yeah. So all of a sudden, the the little kid jumped out of me, and I'm like, "There's John Williams. Go see him. Go see him." You know. <laughs> and and I I just feel like this is my opportunity. And you know, you just be smart about it, of course, and not be too much of a geek. But, um, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it buffers it that, you know, I'm a professional and that I, you know, accomplished X amount of things. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I still, I still get giddy when I see Rick Baker, you know, and I've known Rick since I was 13 years old, but he's, I'm such a giant fan, uh, of everything he does. Uh, I still get really excited and my heart really beats fast. I'm just like, Oh my God, I just love Rick Baker so much. Honestly, I mean, yeah. you guys, you guys saying all these things like this is kind of the feeling that I feel like we're Khalid and I might be having with this conversation, like like <laughs> yeah, having all these stories. Like I'm like, oh my god, like they were just keep naming like, stuff that we have like lovingly gushed over in one yeah. podcast or another, and just like these are just memories for you, like I actual, would like production memories. I would love to have dehumidify predator on my resume. Like that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. dude, I'll tell you, it was weird. I mean, we didn't know what the movie was going to be because, you know, how that came about is that they had shot the movie and they had another shot do the creature. They didn't like the creature. Mm, yep. And so we were all working on Monster Squad at the time. And Stan came in with Arnold and Joel Silver, who was the producer, and pulled myself and like a handful of other guys, a guy named Steve Wang, Matt Rose, Shannon Shea, Bob Kurtzman, Grant Arndt. And said, you guys are not on Monster Squad anymore. You're going to go over to the other little satellite shop up the road. And you're going to start working on this movie, Predator. We have a month and a half to knock it out. So it was a very, very small group of us that started working on the Predator stuff. And had a, had a short period of time. And Steve Wang and Matt Rose were the guys that led the charge on that. It's all them artistically. And um, we knocked it out. And we just we didn't know how it was going to be. And. And, um, you know, we, uh, like I said, they shot in Palenque, uh, all only the monster stuff. The rest of the movie was 100 percent finished. And then we did some two weeks of just green screen stuff. And uh, we all went to see the screening, not knowing what we were going to see. And we were blown away and we're like, oh, my God, this might be an iconic monster movie now that we all worked on. It was mm-hmm. really, really thrilling. Um, but it's you cool. never know. So, yes, taking the smelly, stinky, sweat covered, <laughs> sweat sweat soaked uh predator suit him every single night taking it home and dehumidifying it and wringing it out and just sweat kevin peter hall's sweat pouring out um you know shoes and hands <laughs> at that point we only had one suit like two sets of hands one set of feet and we had two heads we had the mechanical head and then we had a head that was missing like the face was cut out and that's with the mask with velcro onto you know the helmeted mask um and that's what we used for reshoots so it was very limited amount of time to make everything at Stan Winston Studios, and um, and when they came back from from set, we just had a very very few pieces left that were shootable for the wow. uh, for the reshoot. So, but yes, we did the best we could. And, and uh, Howard, tell the tell the story, the Robert Englund story, the one when you were working when you'd had his motel room from the night before. Yeah, not that this has anything to do with Creature from the Black Lagoon. No, okay. but it is to do with with. Yeah, no, no. It, yeah. So you know, ba- you know, when you would work on these Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and I, I did Freddy's makeup, I did Robert England's makeup for Part Four, and uh, under Kevin Kevin Yeager's creation, and Kevin hired me to apply. All I did is apply the makeup, 
And that back then, New Line Cinema would have a release date before they even had a script. So it's like Freddy comes out, you know, June twenty fourth, and you're like, but it's April, and um, and you would shoot seven days a week around the clock, and there would be multiple directors um, and multiple units shooting all the stuff. So, you know, we I would do the makeup in the morning, and then we would literally go around to each little stage, and Robert would shoot his piece or whatever for this, this, and this. So we were also exhausted that we were shooting in, in Valencia in California. And there was like a, it wasn't even a soundstage. It was like a warehouse. And anyhow, they ended up getting us some hotel rooms up the road because it was too dangerous to drive back and forth. So, you know, Robert and I went back and Robert had his room. I had my room. So, okay. Then the next day we go do it again, blah, blah, blah. We go, they get us rooms. And, um, and so I get into the shower to clean up after night and I see Freddie's ear in the shower (laughs) and I'm like, Oh, I guess this is where Robert was last night because Robert was you know, kind of like he'd start flicking off the makeup. And I'm like, Robert, let me just clean it up. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to go. I'm exhausted. And he's like, I'll take it off in the shower. So anyhow, I walked into the shower and there's a Freddy ear, which led me to believe they didn't really clean the room very well. Yeah, or, really like, oh. yeah, or what wow. the hell is that? I'm not touching that. So yeah, the one night, yeah, that night I ended up finding pieces of Freddy in the, in the, in the shower. So I, went to Robert the next day. I'm like, I think I had your room. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I found your ear in the shower. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just pulled it off and left it there. So, but, you know, it's crazy stuff like that that, that you always remember. And, it, you know, and that that um, that motel is still there. That hotel's still there off the off the 405 or the 5. And I drive past and I'm like, that's where I found Freddie's ear. <laughs> that's a memory. To this day, they've still not cleaned the shower. Yeah, the water doesn't even go down the sinkhole, it's so full of body parts. Exactly. Uh, not all foam rubber either. But, yeah, it's yeah. got be some zoning issues at least there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, crazy stuff. But, you know, going back about Creature in the Black Lagoon, it's like I love all three movies. Mm-hmm. I really love the first, of course, and I really love the third. Um, but they're cool, man. And it's just. Uh, you know, I hope they never remake them. I hope Universal, the Universal Universe, does not touch those movies because I think they're yeah. untouchable. I, I'd be fearful of some really dumb story and changing the design of the creature. You know, I mean, I think the only other great creature, you know, revision is what Steve Wang and Matt Rose did at Stan Winston Studios on Monster Squad. Yeah, that one looks that cool. Tom Woodruff Jr. played. That's a beautiful, beautiful version that I think was extremely faithful and. And, uh, you know, was a great tweak. Um, but, you know, I, I just, it's, it's a great design, you know. And then, of course, Guillermo del Toro and Mike Hill and the guys at Legacy Effects kind of did a version on Shape of Water, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the asset. And uh, on, Doug's, on uh, Doug Jones. Who that was that. cool, too. It was very, very cool, yeah. you know. And it was kind of like, you know, I remember Guillermo talking about it before I saw the movie. And it was his love letter to Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I think, I think that's as close as we should ever get. Is like you know, somebody was. I was. We were having a conversation yesterday, and someone said, "Oh, I hope Guillermo does a reboot." I'm like, "No, no, no, that, <laughs> he shouldn't do a reboot." It's yeah. like, but Shape of Water. That's that's it, okay. But I I got to stick with the original ones, and 
uh, you know, they're just, it's just they're just fun monster movies. They're they're my favorite. Creature Creature is my favorite thing. I think that to, to your point about the suit, like I think that what the suit is so iconic, and then in in the third one when you get that like variation of the suit is just like mm-hmm. it's just cool enough to have like it's something slightly different, but it's still like within that original trilogy. And I think that's enough for changing it up. It's something unique and interesting for that last little bit. Uh, absolutely. I'm looking absolutely. at your book right now, actually, and on one of the pages I see like a like a concept modeling for like a potential remake oh. of the creature. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful thing. It's cool. Look, I actually read that one of the early concept arts for the creature was like a more feminine eel-like figure. It kind of oh. reminded me of that vibe, almost yeah, like that, that. That 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 piece of art was a great sculptor and designer named David Grasso. Yeah, and uh, and Dave did that uh, for Mike Alizalde, who owns Spectral Motion. Hmm. And I think you know that the project was going around for a while, and everybody was doing some maquettes, and because you know you wanted to work on it. Yeah. If anything, to just make sure it wasn't, it didn't get messed up, you know. Um, but luckily, again, it, it fell to the wayside. But that's, I love that creature too. It's a cool so, yeah, design, yeah. Page one fifty, one thirty one, Cleet. If you want to check it yeah. out, yeah, yeah. Dave did a beautiful job with that creature, and um, and that reminds me, I need to bother him about making me one. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's super cool, and and uh, you know, it's. I think I think the thing is like. Monster guys know what it needs to be. My fear would be they'd hire an illustrator or a designer that's not really in the monster world and and they'd come up with something silly. And plus there's, you know, a, a whole committee nowadays, you know, where it used to be <clears throat> the singular singular voice of the director. That can be a rarity, you know. Um, you have few directors that have singular voices. Guillermo is one, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, Chris Nolan, probably J.J. Abrams. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you know, you have 27 producers and studio heads and marketing, worst of all, telling you what things should look like. Yeah. It's like, I didn't, it's like, what, so now what marketing tells us what we're doing, you right. know, so that's always super frustrating. Someone um, somewhere sure. said that this kind of toy sells better. Totally. Man. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe though, seriously, that it's not been remade because it's yes, by all means it shouldn't, but, um, Every, most other classics have been, and mm-hmm. there's no other Universal monster that hasn't been remade the hell out of. I mean, you know, countless um, Dracula movies, um, no end of, of werewolf movies. I yeah. mean, either the Wolfman, but also, you know, multiple different werewolf movies. Yeah. Um, no uh, creature movies. Our namesake. What is that? Is that just, does everybody just collectively respect it so much? That can't be it. I mean, why hasn't there been 50 more creature films? seems like it's not for lack of trying. Like, I think I looked at like a list and there's just like a whole list you could see of people who tried to make another script or tried to bring something just like some, for some reason fall falls through. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's not Browning's dead now. So that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you have you can only Rico can play it. That's it. Um, yeah, no, I think it's because they've all been really bad projects. Not that that's never stopped Hollywood. Yeah, that's never stopped Hollywood from making a movie. That's true. Because wow, the script isn't very good. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it didn't stop Universal from remaking the Mummy, or I mean, you know, there've been lots of remakes that were questionable. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very well, now, Occam's I mean, Razor yeah. answer, though. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm all up for seeing different versions. You know, like Guillermo is in the middle of prepping a Frankenstein version. I heard about that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then they just announced a Bride of Frankenstein film with Maggie Gyllenhaal directing it, which I find interesting. Oh, fascinating. Okay. And and, um, Christian Bale's in it. 
Oh, so I think playing Victor Frankenstein or, or however it's going to be, I I'm not sure. Watch it uh, for I don't sure. Know who's That's good casting. Yeah. yeah, it should be interesting. So hey, I got a quiz. I got a quest trivia question for you, Vintage Geek here. Uh, <laughs> Elsa Lancaster. She played the Bride of Frankenstein. There was a particular animal that she really despised, and she based um, as part of her performance as the Bride of Frankenstein on this creature. What creature was it? Oh, huh. Let's see. You know, there, there's that scene when she's looking sort of very pointedly yeah. and moving her head around. Yeah. Um, she said that it was, uh, she saw these creatures often. I'm, taking, I'm like, taking a guess just based on her performance and how you're describing it. Is it a cat? It's not a cat. Oh, okay. Okay. Is it, is it a snake? It's not a snake. Oh. Hmm. I, well, I feel like- way off both of those guesses. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like her movements are very bird like. So yes, Howard. Yes. Wow. Oh, I'm going to see them. Um, see, I lived near Regent's Park for a long time, and there's a a, a little um, uh, lake and where you could go boating, and there were these birds on it. They were uh, they were oh swans. Oh, and for some reason. She took exception to swans because they do yeah. shit everywhere and they chase you. They're not, you know, they're not great. Um, right. And they're protected by the royal family, which just sort of makes them annoying, you know. Uh, like really, the queen. I mean, probably the king. <laughs> you can't kill a swan. It's not like I want to go and kill swans, but Elsa Lancaster, she just really didn't like swans, and so you also she don't want to be told you can't kill swans. Like, don't take that <laughs> option off the table. <laughs> I know. It's like I wasn't planning on killing a swan, but you know, now that you say it, yeah. I'm sort of aiming to at least give it a, you know, a push. The, the punk rock instinct to hit a swan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So sorry, that had literally nothing to do with anything. I just thought I would. It's a good I like trivia piece. Question every now and then. Yeah. I'll allow it. I'll allow yeah. it. As co-host, okay whatever that. powers I have, that is exactly what this podcast is for. For sure. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you very much. There is one quick thing I wanted to talk about more about the creature before we like wrap up here. I know we. I know I said like an hour and we're like well over an hour now, but cool. um. I think that it's interesting. I read uh, the book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, the one about Millicent Patrick. Do you guys check that one out yet? I have. Yeah, I think that's interest- such a fascinating story just to know. Like, So Millicent Patrick was a uh, a designer who kind of came up with a lot of the designs for the, the Gilman creature, uh, but didn't get the credit for the long longest time. Uh, Howard, you might know more about this than I do. Uh, you know, you've heard the story? Yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, I think it's debatable. It's hard. You know what? It's hard to say. Yeah. No, but none of us were there. Right. Um, it's fascinating, I think, though. I, I, in my, you know, not being a, an aficionado of that storyline, I mean, I know the guys that sculpted it. You know, mm-hmm. I know who they were and, and who made that suit and who built it and, and who were really responsible. I kind of feel that she was brought in as a bit of a... Um, she might have been a consultant to some degree, okay. but I think, I think there's also a level of um, publicity uh, that it was used for. So I, I kind of take that book and that that story as a with a grain of salt. Okay, you know, I mean, obviously there's there are women in the horror community who abide by it, and I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really feel that way. Hmm. I think that maybe it's a little a little bit of propaganda. Sure, uh, just like oh, we had a woman design it, you know. 
for whatever reasons, Universal felt that was advantageous, you know, um, at that point. Yeah. You know, but I mean, also Bud Westmore's there with her, too. And that was the other that. name I had there. Yeah, Bud Westmore and, was involved. And, in and, and, yeah. And Bud was Bud was the makeup department head of Universal. That doesn't necessarily mean he did a lot of the work, but he was the department head and he's he gets the credit on the movie. Um, but he orchestrated the building of everything. And, and there could be 20 movies uh, that were work- going through the makeup department at Universal Studios at the same time. And Bud was the, the head of all that, but had to delegate each film to different people. Obviously, he couldn't do all 20 movies. Um, and uh, and that's how the studio, all the studios used to work. You know, Warner's had theirs and Paramount had theirs, Universal, so forth and so on, Columbia. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm never... I'm I'm not a hundred percent like saying yeah she designed it she should get full credit for it there I mean you know again I'll go back to Chris Mueller who sculpted the damn thing and it's a Chris Mueller sculpture for sure mm-hmm. and you can see his style and everything and and I think there were a lot of people's hands involved in it and and I think to to pull the narrative that it was just her and she brought it you know she probably did some designs you know a lot of movies have a lot of designers. So, you know, she was perhaps one of them, but she wasn't, I don't, I don't believe she was the designer. The sole designer? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, that's, that's, I was, that, the reason I brought it up is I was, I know it's like kind of like a, a story that's been kind of coming out more recently. I was wondering if yeah. you probably know more about that than most of us would. Yeah, I'm yeah. not, I'm not 100% sold on that, yeah. but you know. But she was somebody I, that was probably involved in that, in that department, I, I, right? Yeah, I mean, I, she was obviously there. Yeah. I mean, there's photos. I've of seen her, some of those, yeah. Yeah, they're very stagey photos, you know, like it's like we do that as a gag, yeah. you know, but we always the behind like, we'll the hold scenes. Like, yeah, like if we're just with a sculpture, we'll hold a two by four, you know, <laughs> up to a sculpture or like come up with something really silly yeah. because it's a ridiculous photograph. Um, but those are really orchestrated photos. You don't see her, you know, she's wearing a dress in the shop right. and all that, and, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I, my my feeling, my gut feeling tells me that had to do a lot with publicity. Okay. Fascinating. That's how I feel. Okay. Well, yeah, a book is Lady from the Black Lagoon, if anyone in, in listening wants to check it out. But uh, yeah, fascinating story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's another another narrative, for sure. So before we wrap up, and I want to say um, thanks again for uh, joining us, you guys, uh, enlightening no, conversations, just like that's fascinating right. stuff. Um, but yeah, I, wanted, I wanted to ask Khalid one last question. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything this time. Uh, all right. Hit me. Uh, I, uh, I was trying to, I was trying to really reach hard for a pun, but I, I don't have anyone. I'm just going to ask you, Khalid, this is our, this is one of Khalid's silly bits in the podcast. Well, Khalid, would you, would you fight or would you flirt with the Gill man? If you were in this situation? Thank you for asking Joe. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, which Marshall and Howard, you guys might not know, uh, Fighter Flirt is a segment I do whenever we're talking about a creature. And it's basically what it sounds like. Would I fight the monster or flirt with it if I was in the movie? Um, and Believe it or not, I actually got that from the top <laughs> of this part. I mean, it, it's pretty much it's pretty self-explanatory, but thank you. <laughs> no, it's, honestly, it's more for myself. Every once in a while, I'm like, wait, what does it mean? So <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Um, yeah, so for this one, I guess I really thought about it. And I would flirt because 
I don't know. I think that at the end of the day, like the creature is just a dude, you know, like that's kind of mm-hmm. like how he like portrays himself. He seems pretty low maintenance. And, and I keep saying he, it could be a she, but like uh, the fact that it's like uh, attracted to the woman and like trying to like bring her back to its layer and everything. And it's got some cool swim moves that I think it could teach me. Um, the lagoon looks like, you know, year round, like a decent spot to be. Uh, I've got a protector, you know, like I feel like that's the apex predator of that environment. So living in so the Are you flying with him or are you like making house with him? It's like you're, See, you're, you're already asking the wrong questions. Uh, everybody always asks me this. I don't think it's hard. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a floozy, Marshall. If I flirt, I'm trying to make something happen here. I'm trying to build, I'm trying to make a relationship okay, happen. Wow. You know, you're, yeah, well, that's impressive. You're in the <laughs> I like to. I'm a I'm a romantic at heart, and I like to think there's a future there when I'm flirting. So, so when it comes to the creature of the Black Lagoon, I would flirt just because it's. It looks like they've got a nice little place. They've got a pretty steady, consistent job being the king of the jungle. Uh, yeah. So I'd flirt. Easy flirt. Great answer. Great answer. I think your point about the Black Lagoon, though, like we know it's we know it's a set. We know they're not actually on the Amazon, but it just looks. From what it we're seeing, real. it looks like a pleasant place, though. Like it looks I don't, so I wouldn't, pleasant. I don't feel like I'm diving in there and getting leeches or like smacking bugs all the time watching the movie. But I'll be honest, before the the, the creature shows up, which is like what, like 20, 30 minutes in, actually, yeah. it shows up quick. But like oh, you see his hand know, before they know the creature is a creature, mm-hmm. they're having a pretty good time. I was like, honestly, I would be uh, an archaeologist back then. That looks super fun. You just go like scuba diving with your hot friends Wh- and then wear like, your swim trunks and just dive right around. in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if the creature is your significant other, then nothing is going to give you any shit, is it? I mean, it's going to be swimming around upside down, watching you. Anything comes close, it's just going to wrestle it down to the bottom of the water, you know. And Marshall, you can guess, like I I talk a lot of shit, so like I need a strong partner. I need someone that can like back me up when I when I talk something to the wrong Amazonian. No, I, I get that. I think that you like him because he doesn't speak at all. See, that's the other thing, you know. I'm the peanut butter, he's the jelly. Like <laughs> we we complete each other. You get me. You get me now. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm there. I, I think that, don't let you know don't need um a two way conversation. <laughs> I mean, with me around, you definitely don't. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thanks for asking, Joe. <laughs> All right, we should move out. All right, we have one final quick segment we have before we close out our podcast. If you guys have time and want to indulge us, sure. um, the last thing we always do is it's called the uh, we call it the What the Fandom segment, in which we all just share one quick thing that uh, we're just interested in whether that's watching listening to reading may not have anything to do with monsters or nothing to do with creature at all but just something that you're like oh i'm into this right now and i kind of want to plug that so uh we'll let you guys go after us and uh, give you some time to think but so i'll ask khalid first what the what the fandom with you this week khalid Thanks for asking, Joe. My What the Phantom this week is a movie I got lucky to check out last night uh, in theaters. Uh, it's a limited release right now, but I think it's going to be mass release soon. It's called Bottoms, which is the Ooh, follow-up yes. film from director Emma Seligman. She did Shiva Baby, if you know it. Uh, so Bottoms stars Io Edeberry from The Bear and uh, the Shiva Baby star uh, Rachel Sennett is the other star slash co-writer of the film. And this movie is delightful. I don't know how else to put it. Like It really just has like... It's got that sensibility of like Wet Hot American Summer or Hot Rod where it's like so absurdist and it's such a such a high wire act of like 
the plot is ridiculous. Like if I was even to tell you the plot, it would spoil nothing. It's basically, it's these two nerdy lesbian girls start a fight club at their school as an excuse to flirt with hot girls. It makes no sense. And the movie doesn't even pretend it makes sense. And it's amazing for it. And it was such a delight. The theater was just from the beginning, everybody was on its like wavelength and started just busting out laughing at every joke and it delivered. And I'm going to be thinking about it for a while. This is definitely going to be a rewatch for me. This is a new comedy, like legendary film for me. So Bottoms, a very enthusiastic What the Fandom for me on that. Um, and Joe, <clears throat> What the Fandom with you. Thanks for asking, Khalid. I remember seeing the trailer for that one. I'm pretty excited for Bottoms, too. I'll ch- check that out for sure. Um, my fandom this week, uh, nothing new that I've been into, but I've kind of gone back and I've, I'm trying out reading uh, manga a little bit, which I, I'm not huge into. I know we did an episode on one, but uh, I started a series called Claymore, which is well known. It's from uh, Norhiro Yagi, and uh, it's kind of a vaguely middle middle ages kind of world where there's these creatures called yoma that can disguise themselves as humans and they end up trying to eat humans but there's these uh warriors called claymore and they're these women who are half claymore or half um half yoma half human who are able to actually fight and detect and 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 kill these yoma creatures and so we're following one named claire and uh there's a young boy that she helps save uh whose family was killed and who follows her, her around and I like it for a lot of reasons because I like monsters and stuff, but it's interesting. We had this discussion like a long time ago. I think if you remember, Khalid, about the lone wolf and and cub narrative and how it's usually like a male and a younger uh, girl or something. And this is actually like the the finally found the example where it's the opposite, where it's a it's an older woman and a young boy in that kind of scenario. And so it's it's interesting to see that how it's played out. Um, I've only read the first two volumes so far. I've watched some of the anime, too, but it's a it's a fun story, kind of dark. if you like berserk it's probably up your alley um but that's my recommendation from 2007 is from the anime i think the the manga books are even older but um it's not not new but i'm it's new for me right now and so i'm enjoying it that's my my fandom claymore and uh i'll pass it over to uh marshall what's what's your fandom this week my fandom this week actually for the last 50 odd years no I, I, I lately i've just been super into monster movies i mean i'm always really into monster movies but uh how and i had a lot of conversations about monster films uh lately i've been thinking about it a lot and um i just i recently rewatched um the original king kong i i, I when treat williams died i um wanted to watch a film in tribute to him i watched deep rising oh, good one um, you know just the, the last couple of days um ahead of um chatting with you guys it was a good excuse i watched the three creature movies um just yesterday i caught up with uh, the meg 2 which is of course the most preposterous nonsense <laughs> i don't like that it's complete preposterous nonsense that these incredibly fake cg sharks are still more realistic than the people in the film that are actually there but it's like it's like have you heard of acting do you understand you know it's completely wacky and awful but also sort of you know sort of wonderful uh, and you know i think that good bad monster movies it just so I've been on a real jag of monster movies lately and um, probably always, but um, I just, whenever it's like, am I, am I, am I awake enough that I can watch a movie? Real. Yes or no. If the answer is yes, it's like, 
what monster movie am I going to watch tonight? You know, also my wife, um, she's not um, so much into sci-fi, but she'll always watch horror movies with me. So it's like, um, you know, we watch a lot of shark movies, just all sorts of like crazy stuff. And it's like, she's got a really good tolerance for, for like monster nonsense. So, um, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing new. I got to say, I've been, you know, deep diving back. Um, well, I suppose the Meg too, but yeah, you know, um, been really just enjoying, uh, just monsters, monsters, monsters. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. How about you, uh, Howard? Uh, my fandom is it's, uh, it's not really that monster related. I've, I've been reading a lot. So I'm in the middle of reading Quentin Tarantino's book, cinema speculation, which I love. And, uh, I read once upon a time in, in Hollywood, which was his first novel. And, if you haven't read that, it's fantastic. It's not a novelization of the movie. It's expanded the characters and what happens before and happens during and happens after the movie. And it's really spectacular. But this new book, Cinema Speculation, is wonderful. The first chapter is Quentin talking about his influences as a child, what drove him to the movies that he loves and what helped make him the person he is today. And then each chapter, he basically talks about individual films. Like each chapter is a film, like chapter one is, you know, um, uh, you know, like deliverance. And it's just so interesting how he breaks it all down. He really deconstructs the movie and in his opinion, but also based on interviews with filmmakers like Walter Hill, you know, he spoke to a lot about, uh, deliverance and, and, um, uh, and, and just, you know, it's interesting because Quentin and I are relatively the same age. We both grew up in, you know, the, in the in this world and, and, you know, loving movies and, and in California. And, and a lot of his references are similar to my references, which is probably why we get along uh, when we see each other. But this book is really, really fantastic. And it's driven me to, like, make a list of, okay, these are the movies I need to rewatch. Like, I just rewatched The Wild Bunch, which my wife had never seen. And that's just a magnificent film on every level. Great Sam Peckinpah film, uh, which everybody should watch because that's how movies should be made. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really, really into cinema speculation, reading uh, what Quentin has to say, because his, his insight is pretty spot on. And he's so brilliant about storytelling and filmmaking. And, is, and also while reading it, he's such a massive fan of these movies, you know, yeah. and these filmmakers and, and all, all the, his insight is really, uh, it's just amazing. And I love it. And that's the stuff I love. I love the storytelling and the speculation and, you know, hopefully he'll write another cinema speculation part two and cover more movies because he, he really knows, he really knows his stuff. So that's, that's my big thing these days. Cool. Great answers all around. It seems like, um, again, one more last time. I'm going to thank you guys again. This was super fun, like oh, enlightening conversations. Learn, like, just like I said, just give you guys a mic and just like hear you talk. It's fascinating, these stories. But, <laughs> um, is there any other than the book? I'll put links in our notes for it. Is there any other like things you guys want to plug real quick, like um, social media sites or anything people can find you? Um, I'm, I'm just on Instagram. I'm hoops. So it's H O O P S 511. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's really the, the main thing. I'm not on Twitter like Marshall. Uh, and, uh, you know, once in a bloom when I guess checking Facebook, but Instagram's my, my thing. Yes. Yeah, so come say hi to me. I'm just at Marshall Julius on Twitter. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I'm loyal to Twitter. I don't care if Twitter's not loyal to me. You know, that's why I have my sort of, um, 
biggest biggest nerd bubble and i like to think it's sort of an oasis of uh, of nerdy goodness it's you know no trolls no politics um just lots of um geeky bullshit which is you know the way i like it and it's a safe place for everyone and uh, and i always respond to um to dms so you know come say hello and um and you know let's talk about the sort of nonsense we all love Cannot wait to follow. <laughs> um, I'll yeah, watching. I'll be watching. I'll be <laughs> no, as soon as we're off, I'm following. Uh, but anyways, thank you guys so so much. Yeah, Honestly, too. everything Joe said goes for me times ten. Like truly, I I'm gonna be unpacking this conversation for a few days. Like just all the amazing stuff that you both like told us about. Like just the history that you brought to this podcast. It's really everything we love. Like made manifest like you guys are really just out here doing it and it's so cool and we just from the bottom of our hearts like we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for guys like you and it's like i think it's just that perpetual fandom that is so fun to see it's like you guys were fans and that inspired you and we became fans and that's what inspired and hopefully that change just keeps going cool well thank you so much guys it was a pleasure thank you yeah, it was fun thank it was great chatting yeah and great thank you everybody for listening uh as uh as we've said last week, we have a Patreon. If you guys want to go ahead and sign up for that, we're going to have some really cool stuff coming in the next month. But until next time, creep it easy. <laughs> <laughs>